Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Frog Snacks Podcast. It's episode 105, and mm-hmm. uh, if you guys uh, follow us on Twitter, you would know that uh, we uh, we postponed the recording of today's episode today because we wanted to see what uh, Microsoft had in store with the Scorpio uh, announcement, right? Or not announcement, yeah. but you know, we, we knew there was some information coming. Uh, what we got was um, a lot of uh, specs, a lot of sp- yeah. a lot of specs talk. Um, we got it's um, we got all the internals. We got uh, we got matchups with the PS4 Pro. Yeah, like a broad strokes outline of what it of what it can do, what Microsoft expects it will be able to do, and what uh, what a lot of experts say that it should do based on the specs that we were given. Unfortunately, we weren't given a full reveal, which is what I think a lot of people were expecting, especially due to the, uh, like, how poorly uh, Microsoft is, is doing this, this uh, you know, past few years. Yep. So, you know, that's a little disappointing. We didn't even get the, what, what it looked like. We didn't get a price point. A lot of stuff, a lot of, like, bottom line stuff we really, we really didn't get to see. What we did get to see was that Microsoft is taking this project very seriously. So what I guess, I, I guess, I guess at this point, uh, all that's really left is a is a price point and a release window, so we can kind of um, you know f- uh, figure out the the direction that they're planning. But I think what a lot of people are trying to figure out is um, is compatibility and software, right? Be- well, they did say it plays everything Xbox One and that same list of backward compatible 360 games. They did that say that. Already- yeah, yeah, that's already and in fact they said you can expect major performance boosts on those titles. Exactly. So it seems like they are kind of aiming for the same market that the PS4 Pro is aiming for, but uh, you know, side by side, just spec sheet wise, we're looking at a much more powerful machine. Uh, yeah. Again, we're not we're not sure how it's gonna how it's gonna match up in price. Um, and, and as far as the software battle, I think it's safe to say that there's a, there's a lot more, um, diversity and options for software, uh, on the PlayStation currently. But yeah, there's, there's zero question about so that. So we're going to have to see a couple of things. Um, I, I would, I would like to see, um, some type of, uh, some type of release to like show it off. I, I realize that it's going to play everything that that's exists, but I feel like if they're not going to do something like a like even even something unofficial, right? Like the like everybody was saying that Horizon Zero Dawn was like the game that that you wanna that you wanna play if you got a PS4 Pro because it's it's really the one that's the most visually impressive. And right. I wish that there was something like that that we had in the Horizon. Where we could say like, oh man, like yeah, the Scorpio looks cool, but. I really want to get it because I want to see how this game does on it. Who knows what's up their sleeve? Um, you, you never know what deals. One thing that Microsoft has plenty of is money. So uh, if they're willing to do deals like they had previously with, let's say, Platinum uh, and have something under the table that nobody knows about yet uh, until E3, who knows? They, they may have such a showpiece. Uh Maybe even, let's say, it's something predictable like a Halo 6, which sidebar I hope is what we see, mm-hmm. uh, But because uh, I'm hoping for a PC release. But, um, yeah, I wouldn't. I certainly would not count them out in terms of having something worth showing. Like, there's no way they're going to show up to E3 without at least a couple major guns to fire. Uh the question will be whether those big guns are going to be enough to move the needle in their direction. Uh, my take on what they're doing right now is that they're very consciously trying to go messaging-wise in the total opposite direction than what they did with the Xbox One's original release. So when they unveiled Xbox One, right, mm-hmm. they aimed for the broad market off the bat. You know, including our good friend Big Zeke, uh, is like still is making fun of the phrase "Xbox is the new water cooler." <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. When they had all those execs trying to talk about how this was supposed to be the entertainment uh, platform for everybody in the house, right? Mm-hmm. And so that that launch right off the bat aimed at everybody, and it 
among many other legitimate complaints, pissed everybody right the fuck off. Uh, so this time, they went in the total opposite direction and said, we're going to come out the gate super hardcore. Like, right now, the only people who are going to be, you know, buzzing, buzzing, buzzing about this uh, reveal, quote-unquote, are all the super nerds on the message boards who are going to pour over the spec sheet and argue about which console is better just off of that. You know, we still do have the people... We do have the tech horse still running around. Uh, fortunately, they, they control much less of the narrative, but you know what I mean? There's just, they, they're going for the hardcore first, and then they're going to branch out from there. Uh, even though, at the same time, because this machine is similar to the PS4 Pro, uh, it definitely is still going to ultimately be a little bit of a niche product anyway, uh, because it's clearly aimed to be a 4K uh, pixel pusher, right? Right. Uh, and 4K adoption is still fairly low at this stage in time. So this is this is going to really be more showing off. I think this is just to ha- be able to say we have the most powerful machine on the market and be able to have that as a marketing tagline is, I think, the biggest aim here. And just picking up some sales based on, on, on that uh on, on the tech horror market. Uh, but we'll see if it can, as I said, move the needle at all. There's a lot more we're going to need to see. Yeah, exactly. And the, and the other thing is that, like, the way that they're doing this reveal makes the Xbox One, uh, like, the whole discussion surrounding the Xbox One and the release of the Xbox One seem a little bit, e- like, even seem even more um, kind of not in line w- with what you would expect from Microsoft. And I think that maybe if... Maybe if uh, 4K uh, adoption numbers and 4K accessibility was where it was in 2013 uh, as it is now, that maybe Mm -hmm. they would have tried to go that route and said, hey, listen, um, you know, we have uh, have much less to lose now by targeting like the uh, hardcore – um, you know, spec horror gamer crowd, and then letting everybody else know that yeah, you can you can like play your Maddens and have your Netflix also, and instead of just saying like, listen, we we there's not like this breakthrough um, tech that we want to jump on the back of, so we're just gonna try and say that this thing is for everybody. Um, whereas like. Sony seemed to have had this idea in their back pocket the whole time. So when they released the PS4, it was just kind of like, hey, do you like games? Well, PlayStation, you know, we've been making games for a long time and good consoles. So, hey, get get a PlayStation. And then, you know, they like kind of stacked up their arsenal with software. And then once that once that thing became available and that thing turned out to be 4K, they were like, all right, we got the games. Now we're ready to un to unveil, like, the real console for everybody, right? Do you think that that makes any sense, or, or am I just rambling a nothingness? <laughs> it's not that it doesn't make sense. It's that um, I think it slightly discounts where both companies were actually at in time. So don't forget, in when PS4 and Xbox One were respectively released right 2013 Uh, four years ago yeah a mighty you know in the dark ages yeah yeah uh uh, both companies had a lot of different uh things kind of percolating i'm sure in the minds of executives right so playstation i mean if, if you think about this the ps4 release strategy was remarkably safe like they played it as about as safe as you possibly could they just said all right we know that we royally shot ourselves in the foot by uh, coming up with this cockamamie cell architecture nonsense for PS3 that nobody liked and, you know, was uh, a lead ball on our feet for, like, the entire first half of the generation, uh, which let Microsoft completely eat our lunch. So... They were determined not to have a repeat of that, so that's why the PS4 is almost a PC, essentially. Uh, and every, all the developers were like, oh, this is a great thing to program for. Uh, they made sure to put enough RAM into things so uh, the UI was not 
slow us piss and things like that. You know what I mean? So it was a very, very safe design. The reason that that succeeded so remarkably well is because Microsoft shat the bed so hard. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Uh, Microsoft's vision at the time, to your point, yeah, there was no, like, major tech thing that was immediately on the horizon that they could piggyback on, but they tried to do that with Kinect. They tried to have their own thing to piggyback on. Uh, And as we can see, Kinect now is totally dead to the point where they already did confirm that there's no Kinect port on Scorpio. Right. So this thing is dead, 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 dead. But back in 2013, they were betting the farm on that. Unfortunately, they lost the farm. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, If anything, I would say this is just another example of when companies get too big for their britches, right? So PS3, uh, Sony was coming off of the super, super, super hot PS2. They got too big for their britches, did dumb shit, and they got their lunch eaten. Uh, next generation, they, you know, ate the humble pie and came out with a good product. Microsoft, though, was riding high and did dumb shit and got their lunch eaten. And now we're in the process of hopefully seeing them uh, eat the humble pie and come out with a good product. So I don't know if necessarily 4K would have made a tremendous difference given that all that other stuff was happening. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. So, yeah, it was, it was just a different strategic situation for both companies at the time. Like, Microsoft... I mean, Sony shot the bed pretty hard with PS3, but they were able to pull it together by the end. Yeah, and, uh, and we're also talking about a much longer time span. Like, the, the, true. The, like that console generation was, was eight and a half years long. We're right. looking at... We're only at year 3.5 currently. For right. uh, for this for this generation, so you know it, it's kind of one of those things where like you can't really say who did a good job or a bad job until later, and like you know if Microsoft pulls through and like and ends up you know in in eight years, like in twenty twenty or twenty twenty one, and you know we're like wherever the hell we are in twenty twenty one, we can say hey you know like this is this is the legacy that the Xbox One left behind and this is the legacy that the PlayStation Four left behind. But for now, it's uh, it's interesting because the console the console war has become like I don't want to say it's it's rekindled, but it's it's kind of like it's an it like the arms race doesn't stop mid generation now. Like it's constantly being like fought, right? Because the the rate of the rate of technology and like the the perceived needs of the living room are have are growing like by staggering amounts every year and for them to keep up they can't release a new generation of of systems every you know 5 to 10 years they they have to like stay on top of it however they can without pissing off the people who you know already bought the the one system or whatever and you know we've talked we've talked about this a couple of times on the podcast and like what other weird scenarios like uh, you know, like plug-in peripherals, they could they could come up with or whatever. But that's the whole thing is that we weren't having this conversation in in two thousand nine, right? right. With, with the PlayStation three and the Xbox three hundred and sixty, we were just like, all right, well, we'll just wait for the software. Like everything that you have for the PlayStation three or, or the or the Xbox three hundred and sixty uh, that you got when the system came out got you to up to twenty thirteen, like pretty much no problem, and. Right. That to me is astounding because it's only been three and a half years since then and we're looking at, you know, we're looking at like the rise and fall of like motion of like motion capture. We're looking at uh, 4K. Uh, we're looking at VR, right? We're looking at all this stuff that just just changed so much and it, it's just really – it's kind of really like elevated the landscape of the of the console war and, and I think people were talking about the death of the console war a while ago but – for me, I think that even even if you talk about you know like the this like mass migration to PC and this mass migration to mobile, I think that you can't look at what Sony and Microsoft are doing to like one up each other every six months and say that there is no such thing as a console war anymore. Well, I don't know. I I mean personally, I didn't hear anybody saying there's no. I mean, in the last couple of years, the console war had essentially been settled. At least that round of it had been settled. Because Sony definitively won that. Like, there's no question. 
but yeah, to say that it was going to be en- ending is really kind of ridiculous. But to kind of fill in some of the things you're talking about, I'm hesitant to use the word the needs of the living room because really what we're seeing is that they're trying to all the tech minds are trying to create need right now. The reason, to your point, that Xbox 360 and PS3 carried your average consumer just fine is because uh, the only thing that the big thing that the tech minds were trying to push in the middle of that gen was 3D TV. Remember that? And that flamed out in spectacular fashion. Uh, this time around, where they're trying to push 4K, which is basically just bumping up resolution, right? Everybody will eventually want it. Yeah. But they're trying; they're desperately trying to create the need where it would not otherwise really exist. If they, if if all the TV companies and Sony, and Microsoft, and all these other people weren't trying to sell you more 4K content, right? then everybody would be just fine, and many people will be just fine, carrying their vanilla Xbox Ones and PS4s all the way to, as you say, 2021 or whatever we get the quote-unquote true successor machines, right? So, and even VR, VR is still very much a niche product. Um, that's not changing anytime in the near term. So all these things that are coming out are not things that are going to... While they're all nice, they're not going to be changing the overall conversation in such a fashion that I think it's going to like reignite the console war at a fundamental level. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah. So like PS4, basically yeah. what you're going to see, I think you're is, saying there's no there's no gimmick to 4K. It's just like a natural progression of like technology. It's a natural progression, but it's uh it's it's not the same kind of emergency if you will as let's say you know when we went from sd to hd or even you know (laughs) black and white to color you know what i mean yeah like you saw that you're like oh my god i gotta have this now right right like taking myself for example you know i hear all this 4k 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 i'm like i could give a shit you know i really don't care uh when it's when the prices come down on everything to 1080 you know, the price for I could get for 1080 content, then, yeah, I'll look at it. But uh, I could care less, and a lot of people could care less for the most part. The, the, the people who need to keep up with the Joneses, and there's certainly many of them, they'll care, but that's not enough to be, like, to change the fundamentals of what we're looking at. So, like, when Scorpio drops, the quote-unquote war is going to be between PS4 and Pro and the Scorpio. Uh, I don't see the fundamentals of the PlayStation platform versus the Xbox platform changing in any significant manner. Yeah, that's fair. You know what I mean? Right, so, definitely. But, but we'll see. Uh, both of these machines are also, by the way, coming out uh, to help stave off, as you noted, the PC's ongoing threats to consoles. Consoles are actually in such an interesting space right now. Because it's being squeezed from both ends. Yeah. Uh, mobile is poaching a lot of the, you know, the people who would otherwise just be like, I'm just going to pick this up to dick around here and there. Uh, mobile poaches those people. And the enthusiast market is definitely being poached by PC because it is now literally identical. Mm-hmm. Except that PC runs everything much better. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, console is in a very interesting place. All they're going to have right now are the people who are like, yeah, PC, I see you, but I ain't trying to deal with all that. Right. Uh, and mobile sucks. So, yeah. And that's a very big audience still. Yeah. So they're trying to – they're trying right now – part of the, uh, the reason these consoles exist, the uh, Pro and Scorpio, is to stop those people from being enticed away. Yes, yes, yes. By bringing by bringing up like the lazy man's uh, way out, like up to speed with right. what they with what they would like would uh, presumably be quote unquote missing out on by jumping by jumping to PC. Exactly. This yes. is to stave off, and I mean Microsoft for their part has explicitly said that. Yeah. That hey, this is part of how we're going to stave off you know 
the threat of PC to our whole business, you know? The, the so, looming threat, the plague. The booming threat, exactly. Even though Microsoft still tends to profit a little bit because they finally got their head out of their ass about uh, publishing stuff on PC. So, you know, we'll see. Yeah, we'll we'll see. We'll see when they make that uh, Halo Six announcement if they've really gotten their head fully out of their asses. But yeah, it, and, and I, I'm sure that's going to be coming. I mean, that's going to be coming eventually. I don't know if it's coming this year, but I'm sure that they will continue the play anywhere with uh, Halo Six on PC because, in general, all the core Xbox brands have been flagging. And this is actually going to kind of lead into our next topic. Uh, the Xbox gaming brands franchises have been kind of flagging this gen. So having it on PC just gives it another shot in the arm as far as hype and importance. Mm-hmm. and keeps it in the conversation, keeps the numbers up, which hopefully keeps the investors happy. So um, why don't we lead straight into that, right? So... The other thing we wanted to talk about today is the whole idea of game design, really. Like, game design changes over time. And imperceptibly so, right? If you're, as a, as a player on the ground, like, games just keep coming out, you keep going through them, right? Yeah. And things just change over time. Mm-hmm. When you revisit things is when you tend to notice uh, things that were acceptable even 10 years ago are much less acceptable now. Right. Or much less exciting now. Yeah. So the reason like Xbox, I'm bringing up the Xbox game brands is because, let's use Halo for example, right? Mm-hmm. Halo back in 2001 was the It Boy, right? Yeah. And it was the It Boy up until I would say 2008, 2009. Mm-hmm. You know, that was... That was easily the premier shooting franchise on console and one of the most premier in all of gaming. No questions asked. Uh, And Microsoft has not mucked with the formula too, too much. Um, People would argue Halo 4. But, you know, aside from trying to uh, tack it a little more to the other, the the juggernaut that, uh, that unseated Halo, Call of Duty... Aside from trying to tack to the COD formula a little bit, they haven't really mucked with the formula that much. Right. Uh, which unfortunately leaves Halo now in the position of simply being much less interesting to people in 2017. Right. So the thing that fueled this discussion, I mean, we're seeing we're seeing a lot of examples of this now, and I think that there's a pretty. Um, there's a pretty stark. Um, I, I would say that there's a pretty there's a pretty wide array of reaction based on um, based on uh, expectation and you know kind of um, kind of also how how far away removed we we were from the game in question. So the three examples that that Frog and I talked about before we started recording today were um, were uh, ukulele. Uh, mm-hmm. Mass Effect Andromeda and Parappa the Rappa, right? Mm-hmm. So, for those of you who kind of like uh, did the uh, did the confused white guy meme uh, when I said the third one, yeah, they did. <laughs> they did do a uh, a remake, a, a a a full remaster of Parappa the Rapper, and they had announced it a while ago, but it was released kind of like uh, out of the blue uh, the other day. Um, I got it because I played uh, I, I played Prap of the Rapper when I was a little kid and it was fifteen bucks and I was like I, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna get it I'm gonna see like what's up like I don't I didn't remember much of it I remembered the songs more than anything else and even in 2017 the songs are the best part about the game but right. uh, it, it was actually I was I was pretty impressed with myself like I had remembered all of the lyrics to the Kung Fu level like just, and I was like man like if you asked me to like if you were like, hey, Snacks, what are the lyrics to the Kung Fu level like three days ago? I would be like, I don't know what you're talking about. I wouldn't even know what the first word is. But then the second the beat started, I was like, oh, shit. I know all of these words. This is great. And that, this game came out in 1996, right? So here's here's the thing with uh, Proud of the Rapper. It's, uh, it's got a completely 
batshit story. The story is right. nuts. Like, it makes no sense. You, you're like, this is the weirdest. This is the weirdest thing ever, right? But everybody remembers what it was. It was. It was just a. It was just a rhythm game. It was a very rudimentary rhythm game. And what we're seeing, what I am seeing when I'm looking at Prap of the Rapper and I'm playing it, exactly has exactly as how it was intended to be played in 1996, except you know, looking much better, right? Right. Um, that music and rhythm games have got, have gone just, uh, we're just light years past this, uh, you know, this game. Yeah. Uh, one of the things, one of, there's so many things that are so baffling about, uh, about Parappa the Rapper in the, in like, um, game design. And it kind of, it really speaks to the era because there really wasn't anything for them to go off of. This was this was very um, a, a very new genre in 1996. So it's it it works the same way you expect. You know, there's there's like a, a cursor that moves along uh, like a, a bar, and you press the buttons as they show up, like just like how you saw in Guitar Hero, and just like how you see in Rhythm Heaven, and all this stuff mm-hmm. like makes sense, right? And um. But but there's a couple of things that are different. A couple of things that really don't make a lot of sense. One, they they didn't have a way to move the to like move the um, the bar as you went along. So there were a couple of segments that are a little bit longer than what could fit on the screen. So they just added a bar at the bottom, and there's no way for you to smoothly transition from the top bar to the second bar without messing up. Like I don't know how anybody does it. <laughs> the second part is that. There's no, there's no tutorial. The tutorial basically tells you press the button when you get to the button and that's it. But there, there's a lot going on under the surface that they don't tell you. They expect you to carry the beat past what you're told to, but they don't tell you that. And the only way that you can get a high ranking on things is basically if you, um, you know, if you, if you were to, if you were to do something on the downbeat on like the first segment of like a four, four time ratio song and you just do it. They're like good job, but there's like all these invisible downbeats throughout the course, the course of the, the measure. And if you don't do it, you can't get a higher score than good, but they don't tell you that. And there's nothing indicating that you should be. There's just this weird silence in between him telling you what to do. And then you doing the first <laughs> button and then, and then the beat just, and then like the rest of the measure just plays out and in, in like weird silence and like, so it's really just just completely bizarre, and there's this there's like a lot more uh, like um, scatological humor that I than I remember. Um, there's like a whole sec there's like a whole section where you're in line for the bathroom and you're like everybody's sweating because they have to poop so bad. It's the weirdest game. I, I I do not remember it being this weird when I was a child, but because uh, you were probably just enamored that there's this musical concept. You're like I'm totally doing this. Yeah, and the and the the rap is like. The rap is like very, uh, um, like uh, era appropriate. It, it it's like very contemporary, like mid nineties, like like pretty simple beats, but like a lot of um, uh, like a lot of uh, the, the, like the beats the beats are fairly simple, but there's still a lot of um, artistic license taken in the way that uh, the way that actual like rhymes and, and meter are structured. So I do appreciate that. Like it's, it's, it's a very, I think in 2017, it's still like a rap that holds up. It doesn't come off as, as like corny or too outdated. It doesn't have this, like, it doesn't have this like perfect four, four, like ridiculously like lofty, like Africa Bombata shit. Like it's, right, right, right. it's like, it's, it's a little bit, it's a little bit more like down to earth. It's a little bit more artistic, but it's not so complex or avant-garde that like it, it would like confuse uh, a like non-regular rap listener. So I appreciate the rap that's in, that's like a long way for me of me saying that like the songs are still good, but, <laughs> but, but there's make no mistake about it. No matter how no matter how decent the raps are, and no matter how fun the story is to revisit, the the actual mechanics are completely unforgiving and completely inaccessible, and and just so far beyond anything that would be considered remotely acceptable past the year two thousand two. And the this was the big takeaway was that like this is fine because I realized that there wasn't much else going on 
you know, like my memory of the game isn't tainted because I remembered it being frustrating and, and difficult to grasp as a child. And so my memory of it isn't tainted. As a matter of fact, I'd probably have an even better memory of it now because again, like the rap and the story holds up somehow just by being so strange. But, but the mechanics serve as this great kind of history lesson where you can say, okay, uh, this game is bad, but it's okay because it's not like the developers tried to sell me on something, um, you know, now, or even in 1996 when the, the genre was so brand spanking new that, you know, they couldn't have foreseen like the correct way to do this type of game. And, so this is so this kind of got us, you know. I was talking to Frog about this. And we're like, you know, we're we're kind of spitballing there. Like, there's a couple of other examples of this that are that are happening right now that probably aren't being as uh, as kind of like fondly accepted as as at face value because they they purport to be doing something other than what Prapper the Rapper purports to be doing. And those are the other two that we mentioned: uh, ukulele. And Mass Effect Andromeda and and uh, ukulele isn't out yet and and I think that there's a lot of discussion as to what the actual intent of the developers were and you know what uh, kind of what we as a gaming audience in 2017 looking for like a classic uh, re-representation of something should expect from a game like this and the early reviews are kind of saying listen this this genre was. Um, messy and unpolished uh, by today's standards, but even back then, like, these were all the things that we didn't realize that we didn't like about it. Um, and it took and it took a bold reimagining of this entire genre for us to realize how much was missing in these initial, you know, uh, this initial inundation of 3D platformers in the, the mid to late 90s and early 2000s. Yeah, I mean, Ukulele is such an interesting case because when you talk about Rapper the Rapper, that was a straight re-release, right? Yeah. So that was, okay, well, now the rose-tinted glasses are off. Here we go. This is exactly the game you played in 96. Does it still hold up? Yeah, it's like it's like buckle up. You, you're going to like some stuff, but this isn't a good game. Check it out. Right, <laughs> right. Ukulele is, is very similar, but it's like... Uh, they basically said, all right, well, we're going to do, we're going to make a game like we were going to make it in 1999, but with all the 2017 trappings and tools, right? So the game looks, just like from visual standpoint, looks absolutely amazing. Uh, and in fact, does have play of open world elements, whatever, whatever. But we're doing all the 90s game design. You know, there's going to, you want to collect? Oh, <laughs> You gonna collect for this game. You gonna collect today, boy. Exactly. You gonna collect today. <laughs> exactly. And this is the heart of and even in fact people were like, and the camera does not work well either, which is another wonderful uh 90s throwback. When 3D cameras in games had no kind of design whatsoever. Yeah. Uh so it, this is such an interesting throwback, like a different kind of throwback project. And to Platonic's credit, from what I understand, this is pretty much what was advertised. We're going to make a '90s rare platformer. Right, but that's the thing, though, is that there's no there's no way for anybody to announce that because it because it got caught in the hype cycle. So there's there's no way for anybody to remove the rose tinted goggles. Like we talk about this era all the time. And we talk about Banjo-Kazooie and I talk about uh, Crash Bandicoot and we talk about Mario 64 and and Croc, Legend of the Gobos, right. oh, uh, the, unsu- the unsung uh, red-headed stepchild. But still, like, these games, these games were good because... These games were good. I'm going to... I'm going to go on record and say Parappa the Rapper was never a good game but it did a lot of things that you know you that that uh, existed without a benchmark so you couldn't say that it was bad because you were the the whole point of it was the was the novelty and the music and right. that's fine but it was a memorable game but not necessarily a good one right and then you had but the but the the thing is is that all of these other games Mario 64 Banjo-Kazooie uh Crash Bandicoot 
these were fondly remembered and they are perceived to be good games. And I think that a lot of them are good games, but if you're going to do something like, if you're going to, if you, I think that there is a correct way to do what Platonic said that they were going to do. I think that there is a way to make ukulele, uh, palatable to the 2017 uh, connoisseur. And I think that they probably missed a few things. And I think that that's what the, and I think that it's, it's kind of the lazy man's way out to say, well, this is how these games actually were. You can't dock them for having shitty camera because all those games back then had shitty camera, but we were all trying to play them with the N64 controller, which was an abomination. So, so, you know, and we were, and some of them, you know, some of them with like full 360 camera control relegated the camera controls to buttons that now would, would be ridiculous. Like even, even the first kingdom hearts game, like the biggest, the biggest sin that the first kingdom hearts game made was that they relegated the, uh, pitch of the camera to the, uh, R2 yeah, and R2, R2 buttons, buttons. Yeah. which, you know, is, is like, was, was, you know, for, you know, in, uh, in Square's defense, that was like a more or less common thing before like dual stick took over, right. but it was on the tail end of that. But even still, like, you know, they fixed it, they fixed it in Kingdom Hearts too, but you know, we're, and then, um, you know, I don't even remember how the, how the camera really worked in, in Mario 64. I think the, I think that the camera was just, uh, dynamic. C buttons. it was C buttons, but it was also dynamic enough for it to like move on its own and not have you encounter too many issues. And then uh, Crash solved the problem by just not having one and just right. having it always be either either trailing or this like 2.5D situation with like a lot of the bonus levels. And right. I think that this is this is this is actually really good timing because with with the remake of Crash Bandicoot coming out this summer, we're gonna see that you know, there might have been a better way for Platonic to fix this. There might have been a better way to, for them to say, like, okay, this is how this is how Banjo Kazooie actually stacked up against uh, Crash Bandicoot, and and I'm not going to use this as like a as like a see told you so type of thing. But I think it's I think a lot of people are going to say like, oh, you know, we kind of gave him the benefit of the doubt. You took the lazy man's way out during the review process and said, okay, well, we wanted a game like this. Um, you know, we kind of wanted to play. Um, like a new good Banjo Kazooie that looked good, and what we got was a new good Banjo Kazooie that looked good, but it didn't. It still didn't address a lot of the issues that weren't addressed in 1999. And you know, the this, the the fact of the matter is the difference between the two genre, the two titles was that Banjo Kazooie did have a problem to address. Mario 64 did have a problem to address, and in the remakes of of um, any and any newer. Uh, you know, fully 3D Mario title solved it immediately with the with the right thumbstick, and you know, for them to for them to have camera issues is kind of a like it's not a it's not a good look. It's like not wearing a tie to an interview, right? <laughs> right. Like you need well, like it's it's almost like a it's almost like a, okay if you really want to let everybody know that this was a good genre and that deserves to be missed. You need to keep all of the things that people remember fondly about it and just fix them. Like you don't have to, you don't have to like, I don't think, I don't think that you need to, um, kind of, kind of like sweep the bad stuff under the rug. If you're going to do, uh, like a, like an honest remake of one of these types of games, you can, you can keep the. You can keep the corny characters and the corny dialogue and like the weird worlds and you keep the collectathons and like, um, you know, like gating, you know, like gating certain parts of the world after you've like collected a certain amount of things. I think people would be able to stomach all of those things if it was constructed in a more palatable way. And, and if, you know, the camera worked and, and if they kind of did the if they kind of did the collectible math in a better way where, where there would be a, we, I mean, we had a whole episode for Christ's sakes on, um, on, uh, progression systems, you know, if the progression system were a little smoother, you know, um, then, then maybe, then maybe we would have a better reviewed product. And again, again, the game's not out 
And I would still like to play it because I, I was a fan of that genre back in the day and I realized that there were problems with it. But I think that it would, st- it would be fun to revisit even if there are some things that are annoying. But if a, if a lot of the earlier reviews are correct, we're looking at a game that took the lazy way out and said, we're going we're gonna to make it exactly how it was even though it's no longer feasible. Well, I wouldn't call it lazy. I would call it perhaps... Uh, a failure of uh, vision, right? Uh, or it, maybe not even failure of vision, but maybe a failure of uh, seeing past the the old, right? A failure of not being able to take the rose tinted glasses off. Uh, and that said, again, because the game's not out, we don't even know if your average person will view it as a failure. Right. So what I I really want to know is how players like I want to see the Steam reviews on this thing. Uh. Now, mind you, of course, your average player is going to be like, you know, nostalgia whore number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even so, uh, if it is that marred by the bad parts of 90s game design, then uh, I think that will come through in regular players' assessment of the game. Uh, so I, I want to see for myself. The other thing, of course, to keep in mind is that reviewers definitely tend to have a different uh, pair of glasses with which they view games than your average person does, which partly comes from the fact that they have to play these things at such a quick clip and at a huge volume, yeah. much more so than your average person would. True. Uh, so, yeah, I would say there's definitely some wiggle room to see like exactly how bad or good this turned out to be, and I think we can revisit that. But I'll also add that I think many of the problems, at least that I heard about, uh, fortunately, can be addressed by one very positive way it works aspect of gaming in 2017, which is patches. Yep. So uh, very little of what I heard couldn't really be addressed um, with a patch. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like. The, the fact there's some technical problems if they update the camera system if it is truly that bad uh, that can be fixed with a patch you know if uh, I, I understand there's no mini map which is kind of like really but if that proves to be a major navigational issue for players they can always add that in with a patch uh, if they if, if some of the progression issues really prove to be a thorn in players side they could theoretically, you know, address some of those on the patch as well. You know, add in a system, you know, like hint coins or some shit, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. To help people get around some of the nastier parts of collecting. Um, but yeah, there's plenty of wiggle room for correcting the issues that may come up. But what what is definitely going to be interesting to see, going back to like the broader theme of this conversation, is that I'm very curious to see how much... Uh, that old school game design is going to be seen as a positive in today's environment. Uh, we don't even have 3D platformers. For, really, the only 3D platformer that we still have is the Mario series. Like, everything else is gone. Yeah. You know, there's 3D platforming elements in a lot of games, including the next game we're going to talk about. Uh, but as far as, like, a game... That is sold on the basis of being, you know, oh, go run around huge worlds and jump on platforms and shit. <laughs> the only game that can sell millions of copies doing that now is the Mario series. Uh, <laughs> or, or, and I guess the Kirby series as well. You know, a Nintendo-helmed franchise. Yeah. Uh, but that does then bring us to the next game to talk about, which is interesting because it is not nearly as old as ukulele or parappa the rapper but still has enough of a legacy to um to have a, 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 an internal history of its own which is mass effect andromeda so mass effect andromeda as i think we noted last time we might have spoken a little bit about it uh has been getting raked over the coals on the internet oh my god yeah it's like it's just um like i i <laughs> I haven't heard a positive thing about it. Like, Which is, in my opinion, quite ridiculous. Because 
yeah, the game has its issues, but the people that made it sound like it was a total travesty, I think, is wildly overblowing the situation. Uh, in general, I believe this game is a victim of, and this is where the crux of this conversation will come in, this game is a victim of the novelty of the first series, right? Uh, Mass Effect, when it dropped, was a revolution because nobody was doing that level of storytelling choice uh, in a game that was as high budget. You know what I mean? Right. Like, fully voiced everything, but at the same time, you were choosing... You could choose multiple substantively different routes to get to substantively different objectives and outcomes. That, in fact, carried through three games. Shit you did in Mass Effect 1 affected events all the way into the last game. Amazing. Amazing. Crazy. Nobody was doing anything like that at the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, But now it's fairly common, isn't it? Although I will say, and this is like one of like the things that still like burns me is that my uh, my Xbox got stolen in between Mass Effect 1 and 2. As did mine, I remember. So I didn't have any save files for 1 when I started 2, but all my all my 2 decisions carried over to 3. So I got I got to experience some of the carryover, but I didn't get I didn't get the full trilogy effect, unfortunately. I think I didn't play Mass Effect until after that incident. For those of you that that don't know, uh, Snacks and I were in the same building, and our whole building got hit with a wave of robberies one year, and both of our Xboxes were stolen in that. Yeah. Good times. It was uh, the the heist, as it's become to be known as. Yes, the (laughs) heist. Yeah, not the Macklemore album. Uh, Yeah, so I I don't think I started playing until I got the second Xbox. But just as devastating. What is that? I said nothing. The bad joke. Continue. Okay, yeah. So, uh, I don't think I got I started playing until after I got the second one. So I think I did have carry for all three games. Okay. Uh, but still, but your point successful. your point holds. That's that like this was an amazing thing, and Mass Effect was like spearheading it. Exactly. Now, but now it's relatively commonplace. I mean, The Witcher Three, for example, high profile does the same thing. Um, I think Horizon even has uh, some of that going on too, does it not? A little bit. So the Horizon has this cool thing where, like, you can kind of... Um, I, I've, I've, it does give you some choice, but I have yet to see how far it takes you. I, I have gotten to at least one scenario where you... The, the, the life of a side character is put into your hands and you can, you can choose to let this person... You, you basically decide, decide this person's fate and it goes beyond whether they live or die. And this opens up um, a side quest. I don't know what happens if you if you kill the person because I didn't kill them because I'm a I, I am a merciful gamer, uh, right. and a just I am a just and merciful gamer. But oh um, but there, there it gives you a couple of options as to what to do with this person. And, and this this is uh, this is kind of like branches off of a main quest. So you you are. I can't, I, can, I can't imagine you would be able to finish the game without making this decision, and I assume that there will be more further on, but I think the story of the game probably ends up being more or less the same, like the main trunk ends up being more or less the same, depending on how you choose, but you can kind of interact with people the way that you want. They, they usually give you uh, one of three options. Um, the, like, uh, the, like, brainy, like, uh, diplomatic jurisprudence way of doing things the uh this like uh empathetic like wishy-washy fucking like PETA version and the um and the the like angry hateful version I usually go but I usually end up being like very hateful because the the position the position that you're put in in the game is kind of one that doesn't provide the main character I would think with a lot of empathy and I think that it makes a lot more sense in most cases for me to respond with aggression. Uh, so I've been doing that and I don't know if anybody is, I mean, nobody likes me, like nobody likes me, but they didn't like me before. I don't know if people's like opinions on you change. If you are, if you are more, uh, empathetic or, or heartfelt or diplomatic. And I don't know if that opens up more of the story or more side quests. 
but I, I think that it's, I, I think it's, I would consider it um, to be uh, a, 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 like a flavoring of choice. Like they pepper it in enough to like, so that you taste it, but it's not like, it's not a pillar of the game. Right. Which is fair, but yeah, my point does still stand. <laughs> exactly. Which is that yeah. uh, this is A, no longer new, and B, more commonly seen in games than it certainly it was when Mass Effect dropped, right? Uh, and particularly on games that are not on PC, because I can already hear the people like, oh, well, you clearly did not play like Baldur's Gate and all that. Yes, there was meaningful choice in those games too, but Mass Effect was like a whole new level. It was, yeah. Uh, but anyway, so Mass Effect Andromeda, in many ways, is basically uh, taking Mass Effect 3, the most polished version of the franchise, and basically like, let's do it again. <laughs> Uh, except with a new storyline, which, being a spinoff, is going to have much lower stakes. Uh, and given that people had gotten very attached to a lot of the characters that came up across the first trilogy, which are, of course, no longer in this one, uh, there's already going to be the risk of not having that same endearment. But given that this game really does not reinvent the wheel in any significant fashion... Uh, has seemed to be one of the biggest sticking points about it. And in fact, in some ways, legitimately did go down a notch in quality. But I think the overarching lesson being taken here is that what was once revolutionary game design, and this is only, keep in mind, we're only talking about 10 years ago. First Mass Effect was 2007. Mm -hmm. Uh, What was once revolutionary is now like, you know, it, it's leaving a lot of people kind of cold, like, okay, I've seen this before. This is not the same as, like, the ukulele of now we have well moved past this, necessarily. But it is now no longer new and interesting. Which is why I kind of brought up earlier, like, Halo, right? Right. Or even even better example, Gears. Mm-hmm. Gears was another revolutionary game when it dropped in 06. Uh, but now the third-person paradigm it presented has now literally been co-opted by every game that's not in third-person, including, by the way, Mass Effect. Uh, So that in and of itself is no longer interesting. So, you know, by the time we get to Gears 4, which is now removed from the characters that people loved in the trilogy, for the most part, uh, it's like, well, you know, hmm, what what are you doing for me? Right, right. So this uh, again like this is this is kind of like a lot to I think accept but I wanted to ask you I wanted to ask you about um really quick cuz we don't have a lot of time left but I did I did want to bring up um I did want to bring up Persona. Uh, we'll, we'll probably talk a, a lot more about Persona uh in like, you know, future episodes but Persona's been around for a long time and Persona, from what I understand, does a lot of these things that we're talking about with with Mass Effect. It's like a it's like a more or less traditional JRPG, but it, it adds this this whole like level of dialogue and choice into it. And I wanted to know, you know, this this game is being really uh, is is you know uh, has seen a lot of positive reviews, um, right. both by critics and consumers. So, what do you think? What do you think is different? Like the, the idea of uh, choice being um, being a pillar of a story-driven RPG is probably not going anywhere. But people are going to have to figure out. Developers are going to have to figure out uh, more more innovative and more compelling ways to include it. Uh, what is what does really quick just 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 in terms of like dialogue and choice what what do you think persona 5 does uh that mass effect andromeda maybe could have done in in just in this facet of the story uh that's an interesting question i mean i think that people just didn't really connect uh with the cast in andromeda mm-hmm. uh and the writers for Atlas uh, have proven themselves. They've gotten better and better. The writers in Japan and the localization team in the United States and Europe 
have gotten progressively better at bringing characters to life. And so, like, the cast in Persona 5 is just so remarkably well done, on top of everything else that's going on, by the way. Uh, it's it's kind of hard to even just isolate the story. The storyline is in plenty interesting, but with Persona 5, you really get a total package that knocks it out of the park in every respect. It looks amazing. The soundtrack is godlike. You know, the story's a lot of fun. It is stylish as hell. No game looks anywhere near as cool. Like, it's one thing to, like, be, oh, my God, the graphics look cool. But I'm talking, like, looking at this game just looks cool, right? Nothing that that studio's ever done or any studio ever, frankly, looks as cool as Persona 5 does. Uh, so put, put all of that into a pot and blend it, and you have an experience that is utterly amazing. Quick word on, glad you reminded me, of, yeah, we want to talk about JRPGs, because they are kind of an uh, interesting but important part of this, right? Because JRPGs have fallen complete, well, not completely, especially thanks to P5, right? Uh, but they've fallen largely out of the gaming conversation writ large, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was because of, of beholdens to the old school game design, right? Like, you couldn't... A lot of developers really could not move past the 90s paradigm of RPG design. And because of that, when the West came along with games like Mass Effect, uh, then, you know, uh, a lot of the Japanese RPG scene just kind of got left behind. What Persona's brilliance has been has been in taking the stuff that people liked... There is a core essence of that 90s RPG style that people really do like. There's a reason that there's such a huge retro revivalist movement in the indie scene, right? Mm -hmm. So they took that core that people really did like and gave it a fresh perspective by melding it with all the social elements and all the visual novel elements and now really like dialing up the style and aesthetic to like 11 sorry 15 you know right uh so persona is really carrying the jrpg into the 21st century i think like this is something that you can this is uh this is probably the only japanese rpg that i could probably be like show to somebody who is like the the madden call of duty or gta gamer and be like, hey, this is something that you've probably never heard of, but it's also really cool. And you might want to check it out. You know what I mean? Like, I can't even... Maybe FF15, you could say that as well, simply because it's a, another big open world game. But that comes with a lot of the usual baggage, right? Yeah. Uh, but Persona, particularly this game, presents itself in such a new, fresh and interesting way uh, that it really gets away from... It keeps enough of the old paradigm to uh, to satisfy the old heads, but freshens it up enough that I think it makes it interesting for people who were not necessarily enthused by those games of old in the first place. Uh, so I hope that, in a long roundabout way, <laughs> answers the question. No, that that does, that does because it's it's almost like uh, it's it almost sounds like um, Atlas and Persona are doing for JRPGs now in 2017 what uh, the Mass Effect series was doing for Western RPGs back in the day and currently are no longer doing that. And so there's, they might not be creating this paradigm shift, but they're doing, uh, they, they, they are, they are promoting, uh, like a, a cultural brand, you know, beyond what Andromeda could have done with the Western RPG. Yeah, I mean, like I said, Andromeda's, it seems like its biggest sin is that it was safe in all the ways. It was safe, but then it also did not present people with something uh, in, I guess, the storyline and characters and aesthetic stuff that would wow them. Right, right. Like, if you're going to be safe in one way, you kind of have to do something 
a little impressive or interesting at least in another. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and it seems like they missed the mark for people uh, in, in that regard. I enjoy the game quite a bit, though. I have my beefs with it as well. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, I, I enjoy Mass Effect tremendously. But that said, Persona 5 is like, that's an awesome game. Right. Definitely. So... So yeah, that's about it. Um, wanted to uh, wanted to cover a ton of uh, a ton of bases. Uh, kind of jump in on the news cycle a little bit. Uh, get that uh, taken care of. Um, we uh, was there anything else you wanted to add before we signed off? No, I think we uh, I think we got it right there. Yeah, definitely. So if you guys want to check out some of our uh, some of our other episodes, some of the ones we may have referenced on, on this episode, you can do so on uh, on our website frogsnacks.net. Uh, we got some written content there as well. Obviously, we're on iTunes. You can subscribe, rate, and review us. Uh, follow us on Twitter so you know that the next time we're going to record on a Thursday instead of a, a Wednesday uh, at Frog Snacks. And uh, you can check out cool uh, screenshots or funny screenshots that we take of all the games that we're playing on our Instagram at Frog Snacks Podcast. And uh, until then, or until next time, we'll uh, see you guys later. Peace.